My guest is Cecilia Bonneveld-Dahl. Cecilia Bonneveld-Dahl is the Director General of Digital Europe, which is a leading digital technology association. Welcome to the podcast, Cecilia. Thank you so much. We're going to talk about the Ukraine situation, obviously, uh, and the role of technology in this awful situation we find ourselves in. Uh, but before we do that, just a few words for the sake of our listeners about what Digital Europe is and what it does. We are the main organization for digital in, in Europe, as the name says. We represent around uh, 36,000 companies across Europe, small, big, uh, within different sectors, all the way from banking and health to, awards, of course, the, the players that you all know from Siemens uh, to Google and others. Right. OK, that's perfect. We set the scene. Well, the world was turned upside down on the back of the pandemic and society became much more digital savvy on the back of the pandemic, which has now been raging, of course, for, for two years with possibly an end in sight of sorts. But now well, the world's been up, turned upside down on the back of the uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Can you tell me how you see the, the role of your member companies in this conflict? Uh, how, what contribution can tech companies make to trying to make an awful situation less awful? Well, I think it's uh, it's been quite visible that digital is not about uh, being in private or public sector, that but it's ba basically bringing us together. I mean, digital infrastructure, cybersecurity, all these technologies are mainly coming out of the private sector at the moment. And many of the detections of, uh, of the huge amount of attacks on Ukraine uh, on the public sector before the, the attack of Russia has actually been identified and addressed by private companies who basically could see the malware before it even hit uh, Ukraine and who was able to warn other nations and Ukraine and, and find patches to, uh, to protect Ukraine uh, against uh, Russian intrusion. In the infrastructure, of course, I mean, if you cannot communicate, it's very hard to, to protect yourself. Here, uh, the industry have really come together and looked at, uh, worked with the Ukrainian government uh, to to supply critical devices to be able to ha keep the, the 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 infrastructure, the digital infrastructure, going. So we've been facilitating um, between the Ukrainian government and uh, the industry the supplies that they basically need to to be able to communicate. How is this? communication come about between your member companies and, and the Ukrainian government? Did they reach out to you or did the companies reach out to them? How did it work? Well, actually, the Ukrainian government reached out to us. Um, we also have a member. We have IT Ukraine. So we have 40 organizations in 35 different European countries. Uh, and uh, and uh, in Ukraine, we have IT Ukraine as a member. Right. Um, and uh, as you know, we have uh, very good diplomatic relations all over the world. And uh, some of these people advise the government to reach out uh, to us, to myself, and try to co coordinate these actions to, to support them. So they reached out to us and then we gathered the members around uh, supporting uh, Ukraine. I know most of your members are not seen as a McDonald's or luxury goods uh, sector uh, economic operator. but. Have most, if not all, your members ceased to have any meaningful economic activity in Russia, or is that still very much a, an open area? I mean, everybody who's engaged in, in this effort have definitely uh, condemned Russia and stopped business in Russia. And uh, I would say the majority of our members have. It has been amazing to see how, how clear the cut has been. Of course, 
there are uh, sensitivities. I mean, you you know, if 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 you actually announce that you're going to draw out of Russia and you still have people there, they are in danger. So there is a there is a sensitivity on how to do it, but there has been a huge support on on basically pulling back a business and and getting out of Russia. Of course, uh, the the medical companies are exempt from that uh, due to the patient relation. Um, but a huge support to Ukraine and a huge support to actually bringing the knowledge, which is quite unique. I mean, most of the innovations are coming from private sector today. Uh, so without that support and without that public-private collaboration, we are basically not able to address these, uh, I would say, um, uh, hybrid threats that are that are a main part of the, the, the attack on, on Ukraine today. And in terms of these public... Uh, private, sort of almost like partnerships, collaboration, even though it's against a very uh, negative backdrop. Do the, do the Ukrainians in this situation know more or less what they want, or do they present your members who are actively involved in this exercise what the problems are, and it's up to your companies to come up with the solutions? Well, they tell us what they need. They tell us what are the, the components that they need and the help they need. But we have seen many different types of help. Of course, uh, directly supporting, we have Assets, one of our companies, who basically supply solutions to protect critical infrastructures and, and, and who have been able to prevent uh, concrete attacks. We have Microsoft, who uh, really um, was one of the major protectors up front of, of their um, of their financial financial systems. They actually detected the the malware and the attacks before it happened. So all the way from this cybersecurity support to uh, infrastructure, concrete receivers and senders, so the signal can actually exist. Um, so the government has, has sent us a list of equipment that they need. Um, to basically keep um, keep their infrastructure and to to keep their um, functions uh, going, so so it's been a dialogue, a two-way street on how to actually get the right equipment there and the right support there. Well, you said that uh, say back in the seventies, eighty percent of innovation was produced by governments, and now the ratio is more or less reversed. Eighty yeah. percent of security defense innovation comes from the private sector. Is there a, a widespread now recognition in the public sector about that about that reversal? And, and if so, um, how has it affected, impacted on the relations you, the association and your member companies that, that you have with policy makers in, in the broad public sector? Yeah, I mean, exactly. When we, look, when we look back, everything would come out of military, even the internet has come out of military innovations from, from public sector. And it's totally reversed today. Um, it's how it goes in peacetime, right? I guess yeah. we get complacent, and 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 uh, industry has taken over the innovation of of uh, of, of tech. It doesn't make uh, you know uh, it, it less important to have that collaboration. I don't think I think it has been a major wake up call. First, the COVID crisis. You know, how do we connect? How do we communicate? How can we actually create resilience in our industry so they don't break down? when we cannot move from A to A to B any longer. And now with, uh, with the concrete uh, cyber threats, with the concrete also military threats where technology is like a main solution to the problem, public sector and I would say defense is waking up to this, at least in Europe, I would say. We have seen NATO been quite uh, proactive. So they launched uh, both the Diana and, uh, and the NATO Innovation Fund just uh, only less than a year ago. Um, where you, they really try to collaborate in investing in private companies and build, building ecosystems between NATO and between the private sector 
on these dual-use technologies because it's in peacetime that you prepare for, yeah. for conflict and unfortunately that hasn't uh, been uh, the specialty of Europe, I believe. If we look at the, our spendings, we all know that uh, most of the countries have struggled, the NATO countries have struggled to get to the 2%, whereas if we look at China, for example, they spent 7.2% of them on, de- on defense and on, on security. And um, I mean, we are basically advocating 2% is too little. We are so far behind right now that the investments need to be accelerated and um, and much of the spending is seen to be in planes and tanks and right. things like that oh, whereas yeah. that extra percent maybe we should add an extra percent and go to three percent and then really look at how we can spend that percentage at cybersecurity technologies ai quantum computing all these technologies that basically runs the security of uh, of and the stability of our democratic societies right well since you've mentioned uh, nato you remember, if I'm not mistaken, of the NATO Advisory Group on Emerging and Disruptive Technologies. What is, the, what is this group and why did you agree to join it? Because I'm passionate about security. I have myself, uh, and my, my grandmother was, uh, was the, one of the heads of the resistance movements in, De- in Denmark and uh, my family is, move, uh, is, is, is coming from the border towards uh, Germany. So the history is really present of conflict. And I'm a passionate European and I'm a passionate uh, believer in freedom and democracy and sharing my knowledge on how we, how technology has changed this game and where the dangers are and how we can address them is absolutely crucial to me. And, uh, and I think the group has made tremendous progress. I've been really surprised to see NATO how how much the, they have been craving for advice, but also willing to act really fast. We came out with a report a year ago uh, advising that there is a structure built for testing and collaborating on technologies with private sector, which is called Diana, and to make a, a NATO investment fund that can basically co-invest in certain development of certain technology, do use technologies. And within a few months, it was passed through the the uh, the, the council, and uh, and everybody agreed to basically doing that, and that is in motion now. It's being built as we speak. So really, a, a wake up call that this is needed. I mean, of course, U.S. have had a totally different approach to to defense. We all know that they spend uh, much more than all the other uh, allies together uh, on defense, but. Europe is kind of the, the, in many terms, the, 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 the continent in the middle, right, of everything. And of course, building that ecosystem of innovation in these key technologies and really also bringing it to a scale uh, and bringing it into prevention of attacks, uh, resilience, and not least, uh, of course, defense ultimately is absolutely crucial for the stability going forward. This advisory group is, of course, I'm, I'm there as a person and not only as an industry leader. And, uh, and there are other members apart from industry people, correct? Um, they're academia, yeah, so yeah. academia uh, from uh, the, the French, um, uh, the French defense, uh, from uh, private sector. So it's really diverse. It's really diverse. And it's also about building, I mean, we are, we're also advising on, on how NATO is changing their staffing strategy the skill strategy i mean the soldier of the future is going to be right. it's going to have very different skills from the ones of the past so how do they actually transform and make the whole uh, way of thinking of digital and and safety and cybersecurity and skills also 
ultimately, hopefully not, in combat with a digital mindset and how we can tra- transform that. And of course, there are also the academics are playing a major role in, in, uh, in, in that transformation phase. I don't think it's a talking shop. And I think I see the, there is a growing understanding that if we don't have an ecosystem where we are collaborating on technologies on this, somebody else will make the technologies and Europe will just not be a player. And I think one thing that came out of it, I would say the NATO crisis with the US uh, some yeah. years back, was a wake up call that you know nobody is served well with a Europe without technology and without innovation and with weak defense and low skills in cybersecurity. <laughs> of course not Europe, but neither does US also needs a strong partner. So, and in NATO, of course, that that melts together <laughs> as, yeah. as as per se, but but um, but we need to up our game. We cannot just lean back and say like, okay, when everything goes wrong, we'll probably have you know somebody flying in and help us. Yes, they will, but to to have uh, to have a partnership, you need to be a partner. I'd like us to in the, in the second part of this conversation, Celia, to talk about disinformation and misinformation. But as a, maybe as a segue into that, and let's be clear, uh, it is not all good news in the sense that technology mm. can be a force for bad. Frankly, the aggressors have access to a lot of the technology that the other side have as well. Mm. How, I mean, the world is not perfect, I mean, and it's constantly changing, but how optimistic are you that on our side that we are ahead of the, the other side and we are, we are winning that particular battle, or are we always going to be uh, not, not so much playing catch-up, but at least uh, trying to see what the next problem around the corner produced by these aggressors will be? Um, Innovation-wise, I mean, US, of course, but also Europe is quite strong. Sometimes what we have lacked is to actually scale it. I mean, to, to become a real player in these technologies, play, they remain small mainly and not really scalable. So, of course, I mean, with the, with the NATO Investment Fund, this is, and, and of course, with the European uh, Defense Fund, this is an attempt to boost some of this, right, and and uh, and and to get investment into the ecosystem. But it 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 needs to be it needs to be scaled. I mean, you need the players. You need you know you're not you're not if you have the invention and it's not coming into real life. Well, it's nice to be clever, but you, if you can't use it for anything, then it's it's a, it's a hidden capability. And I think that's what we need to wake up to. That we need to invest. We need to get. You know, an ecosystem of private uh, sector companies that can basically innovate in these areas in Europe. Both, and I mean, mainly in security and defense, but ultimately also in, in, in if we are hit, that we can defend ourselves. Well, there seems to be, so the, the non expert outsider, uh, quite a lot of new funds now in existence, like you mentioned the Defense Fund and that kind of thing, but also in terms, in the context of the pandemic, COVID pandemic, the recovery and resilience. Facility, I think it's mm-hmm. called that, the RRF, where significant amounts of money are being allocated to to member states with a specific right objective of being spent in the digital sphere. Uh, putting all these different funds together, they seem like very substantial uh, amounts of money. Uh, do you have any concerns that the the monies may not be as wisely and as efficiently spent as they might, or are you pretty confident that those people in charge of dispensing the funds and supervising how they are spent? know what they are doing you, you know when you are a company and you're looking for investment you know there is what is called investment and there's intelligent investment right yeah. <laughs> i'm a big believer that if you put money where there is passion and when there is really the knowledge then you will succeed if you put money in to something that you have an idea about in, in a fluffy uh, 
cloud idea that you need something bigger than that, then it will turn out to nothing, right? So it's super important that we actually let private sector also manage their thing and that there is a mix between private investment and public investment. To me, public investment is a boost but it's not supposed to stay in there, right? It's not supposed to drive everything uh, as it's, it is public funding, meaning that it's, uh, if it hits company, it's supposed to benefit what private se- sector does is to compete and boost that, but then hopefully uh, be that boost and then turn into a, a long-term uh, competitive open market uh, situation, right? I, I hope that it will. I think government needs to, I always say like for me, the government is they need to keep us healthy. They need to keep us extremely well educated. You can discuss whether that has succeeded and, uh, and you, they need to keep us safe, right? Yeah. So I think it's time for governments and for EU to think, you know, are we actually an actor that keeps people safe, uh, who uh, make sure that they have the jobs of the future and educate them and do they, we keep them healthy. I would say the pandemic, uh, EU has done a really good job. I think we have really seen them up their game and work together across border. There are problems, but I mean, other even less, uh, you know, more united units have had similar problems. So I actually think we did quite well. On safety, you can discuss. On education, you can discuss. And, and ultimately, if you don't have the skills, you don't have the innovation. And if you don't have the innovation, you don't have the safety. So I think it's it's, it's a little bit like get back to basics. What, what, what do we need EU for and what do we need governments for? And how do we make sure that we have a governance structure where, where the governments draw on the best expertise? And right now on security and, and defense technologies, that is private sector. And I see an attempt, but there needs to be an openness, right? And not this kind of mistrust that more it's also private uh, companies' interest. Yes, it is, but you know everybody's interest interested in keeping us safe. And right now we see those uh, that our members are picking that up. Uh, our members have played a major role in in, in in basically detecting most of the cybersecurity attacks, and there are there are collaborations. But there is no fixed governance structure yet. I mean, we've seen in the U.S. You, there are much closer collaboration between private and public sector when there is an emergency. And so, what kind of fixed governance structure, to use your phrase, would you like to have in place? When we look at, for example, how the, the EU is collaborating on on uh, on the financial sector, we have the the. ECB Resilience Fund, where they where they meet uh, and they have a structure around cyber attacks on banks, for example, right. and there is a ready emergency to act immediately. Right? Uh, we don't have that. I mean, the cyber competences of the EU, for example, is still extremely, I would say, vague. Right? It's like if the countries want to collaborate, we can share, you know, vulnerabilities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But, you know, if it's going really fast and if they are aiming, for example, for a full energy sector attack in Europe, I mean, if we can't talk about who's on a voluntary basis is going to share their vulnerability, right? Then there needs to be a group of, of uh, our council that can basically act immediately and say, okay, who has the knowledge, who has the, 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 the tools to prevent the, the, the attack? And, of course, you need people who have, uh, how do they? Who can call the shots, right? And right. in an emergency situation, nobody goes like, "Who wants to go with me in battle? Who will lead today?" Right? You need something. You need a crisis response which is ready and standing, and we don't have that uh, resilience council today uh, in the EU, and we don't have a structured central uh, chain of command while it go- if it goes wrong. 
And I really think that should be built immediately. I mean, we cannot keep on discussing, you know, how the countries, you know, they don't want to give away this and that. Yeah. I mean, they should give the mandate and say, we invest in this. We want to we want to do this together. We want to make sure that if everybody is going for the energy sector or if they're going for the water supply, you know, we're not discussing who has the, the who has the torch here, right? I mean, is this the kind of topic that could be discussed under the aegis of the Trade and Technology Council, or is it not in their sphere or their mandate? Yes, of course. I mean, and, and the collaboration. But I think EU should discuss internally also. But then, of course, I mean, cyber doesn't really care where it where where it goes. And under NATO, I mean, cyber is the def a defined area of uh, of action now on equal terms with with the military and intervention and 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 land and sea and, and etc so i think for nato eu and of course in that equation our big protector hopefully <laughs> for a long time uh, the us how can we collaborate on on a response here right um But without EU having also discussion on how so, they do things, yeah, right. there will be countries and partners who are like-minded. They might not be NATO allies, but they are a part of our democratic world, and and they will be left out, you know, if they are not a part of this chain of command. I mean, you see Denmark, my own country, they have yeah. not even been a part of uh, the collaboration on defense and, and uh, policing, which is a disaster. Finally, now they're waking up to the fact. But there needs to be more clarity, and we need politicians that realize that we are living in a world where cyber attacks and hybrid, other hybrid threats are very real. It's not that they're, it's something that is coming. It's very real. And where something like quantum computing and other things is a great mean to protection, but also if somebody else find the, the first solution, a great threat to our security. We're coming to the end of this conversation, Cecilia. We haven't really talked enough about uh, information technology and disinformation yes. and disinformation. Yeah. And to be very direct, and you'll know this much better than I, a lot of technology using being used by Russia and also by China and other uh, players out there. We know who they are using technology which has been invented by many of your member companies. How do you see the long-term perspective of that? We know it's happening. Uh, we can, we're getting better, presumably, at spotting when it's happening. Mm -hmm. But do you think that it'll be an area where Russia and China, to call, to call them out both directly, will always be ahead of the game and we just have to kind of play catch-up and be more aware of what they're up to? I mean, on, on, on misinformations, I mean, I remember when we were discussing, you know, everything on, uh, you know, what can be said and online and terrorist content and uh, illegal content versus, uh, you know, uh, other types of non-pleasant content and what can we regulate or not. And one of, the re one of the reasons why we said illegal content is that harmful content, what is that, right? So all of a sudden you are in Russia and you are expressing your view and you are criminal in Russia or in China or even some potentially European uh, places where you are, for example, not allowed to say certain things. So misinformation is a tool. It's always propaganda has always been a tool of warfare. And, uh, and all of a sudden in this situation, many of the platforms that we were like calling out maybe as, as not perfect in how they do things are actually the only means of getting information towards the popula populations. Yeah. And they are serving a security standpoint a democratic viewpoint uh, and entry point to these uh, these threatened nations right and that's all that's just to say that digital is a tool it yeah. always depends on the guys who have it at hand right yeah. i don't think we're playing catch up on 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 communication 
if you look at it in broad terms, NATO, EU, democratic world, I mean, we have many of the leading technologies. Europe has some serious catching up to do, but as, as in the Allies, we have very, very high, uh, highly innovative technologies that we can use, and we're very good at it. However, I mean, on, on misinformation, we don't have specific responses on what do we do. There is no convention on how to use misinformation. There is no cyber convention or AI convention on how we use these technologies in warfare. And I see, I foresee in the future, I mean, when conventions will be made between the nations, these will be in there, right? Uh, so we are juggling a little bit like uh, uh, the things for the first time in, the, in this situation. Well, a final question. Uh, comparing the time when you took on this job uh, running Digital Europe and now, how would you compare societal uh, acceptance of technology, digital technology, the society's familiar, familiarity with technology, and that of policymakers? now compared to when you first took on this job? <laughs> Fundamentally different for policymakers, I would say. Right. Uh, in the way that I think there is a general deep understanding that it is a major game changer on everything, whether that is industry, it's security, it's uh, you know skills, education, everything, the way we eat, the way we think, the way we live. I struggle a little bit more with the focus. I mean, mm. so... I always say, for, I mean, first things first, the big things first, right? And, and safety first and health first and some of these things, right? So I hope that govern, governments and the commission and everybody's like waking up to keep us safe, uh, you know, keep us healthy, uh, keep us well-educated, right? And, and really looking at those, you know, three, four big areas, keep us connected, right? In a safe infrastructure, make sure that we're resilient if we get attacks, et cetera. Supply chain. Look at them. Are, they, are we are we mm. covered? Not that we want to close out, close the doors towards the world. That would be pretty dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but but how do we make resilient supply chain? So these big questions first before we go like nitty gritty on something that might happen, which is an imaginary problem in the future, right? And really uh, and put their attention there. Unfortunately, I would say, in the average European and maybe even uh, also us right uh, live we are we're still users if i don't i don't think if you walked out of the street and ask some 18 year old how do you protect your device against cyber mm. attack mm. they won't know uh, how do you uh, uh, you know how do you detect that you know a website is not uh, the right website but that you've been tricked they wouldn't know right so the the, 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 the the ability of policymakers and educational system to raise the bar for everyone to you know know the basics of how does a device work you know how is coding done how can I participate in this you know how is misinformation disseminated or how can I protect myself some of these things uh, we are still users we are still not creators and that worries me a lot I mean coding is the only universal language in the world and there is a fraction of people who knows the basic and it honestly it's not that hard and just giving the basic skills will allow them allow the people to understand you know that it's not like a some box in there did done by people who are totally different than mm, them right. but it will open up their creativity and, and their thinking in a range of area in society and make them much more able to participate and i'm i'm really worried that this seems to be something that people don't understand the uh, you know the the, the importance of and remember 
the, the STEM skill strategy and the digital uh, skill strategy has been a key factor in, for example, the, the Chinese strategy for the last 20 years. Also Taiwan, for just to take another good example. I mean, mm. uh, the countries who have really focused at this, they're very successful and they have, uh, you know, really good uh, opportunities of, uh, of growth and prosperity in the future and security. Well, we have to leave it there. Cecilia Bonifeldal, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much.